The scripture for today is Luke 1, 57 through 58, 65a, 65b. When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. Bless the Lord, uh, bless the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to help and delivered his people. The word of God for the people of God. So we continue with the fourth question of Advent, looking at what will this child become? Now it's easy to think that that's something that's mentioned at baby showers or uh, when you're holding your, your, your first grandchild or maybe at a baptism with all the family present, you might wonder. But really the question uh, that uh, Zechariah has about his newborn son, John, is one about uh, all of us, about thinking about our future, about moving from control to creativity. Uh, this idea of predicting and thinking beyond, right? Wondering what this child will become. It, it's the fourth question uh, in our series of Advent questions. Uh, the first was, how will I know? The second was, how can this be? Last week, we talked about why has this happened to me? And you remember inflections everything, right? Why has this happened to me? As opposed to why has this happened to me? Today we think about uh, our futures. We think about um, the future that Elizabeth and Zechariah had for John. We think about the future that God has for us. So predicting. When I think about what will this child be, I think about meteorologists, right? Man, I missed out on that one, right? Could you imagine getting paid regardless of the accuracy of your prediction? Whew, right? That would have been wonderful, right? Um, sometimes I think the person who invests uh, my pension uh, has the same expectation. Um, you know, I always wondered about fortune tellers, right? If you, if you ever see fortune tellers going out of business, doesn't that seem kind of ironic, right? I mean, if you could tell the fortune, wouldn't you, you know, be able to know that you had an income stream coming in? Of course, the picture there is really just to appeal to a demographic that I hope I can connect with today with Johnny Carson and Karnak the Magnificent. But to be serious, how do you predict how do you think about the future? How do you create it? And now, I can remember, I, I love to hear uh, from the youth talk about um, what degree they want to get when they go to college. I love to hear about uh, the, the, the jobs they hope to do. I, I remember as a kid having that hope, right? Um, I, I remember as a 10-year-old, uh, my dad brought me to work. He was a stockbroker and an uh, insurance salesman. He uh, worked for Dean Witter Reynolds. Anybody remember that one, right? Um, and I got to go to the office with him. And after that day, I had decided that I was going to be a stockbroker just like him, right? Do you remember that move where your first um, idea about vocation and about the future was grabbing onto somebody who was a role model to you? Do you remember how that um, wish and dream changed? I can remember in, uh, uh, in college, I was done with stockbrokering. That whole eat what you kill, that, yeah, whatever, not going to be able to do that one. But what I am today, 
versus who I was then. Could have never predicted it. In fact, I remember finishing my fifth year of ministry. I was the associate pastor at Bel Air Methodist, and, and I had had three senior pastors in five years. After the first senior pastor, I thought, wow, I'm the most um, blessed associate pastor. I get to see one church under two leaders. And then the second one left and the third one came, and I thought, man, I must be the most horrible associate pastor on the face of the earth. I can't even keep a senior pastor at the church where I am. But it was that year that I applied for and started my doctorate because I had had enough experience with senior pastors who had spent 30 years in ministry and who were the most anxious, depressed, and wigged out people I'd ever seen. And I thought, really, I'm going to spend 30 years and come out looking like that? I pulled the ripcord. I headed towards a pastoral counseling and psychotherapy degree. I was done with being a pastor until the degree program that I was in helped me to fall back in love with being a pastor. You see, 10 years ago, I could have never dreamed I'd be here loving the things about ministry that I love today. Because 10 years ago, I couldn't imagine what God had in store for me. And that was a negative take. How do we create our future? How do we dream into what God has in store for us? All of that is wrapped up in the question, what will this child become? What will you become? What will become of your family, of your legacy, of your life? I really do believe that futures are created. Now, now I know our brothers and sisters um, that are Presbyterian and, and Lutheran, uh, they like to believe that it's all been decided, um, that uh, predestination is a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it, it's certainly helpful um, to reduce your evangelism budget if all the people who are here were pre-ordained before, uh, pre before the uh, foundations of time uh, to come and be at the church today. But we believe differently. We believe there's some free will, there's some choice, there's some opportunity to make some choices along the way. I like to think that um, creating our future, now, now let me be honest, God knows how it all ends, right? Um, that God can stand at the beginning of history and tell you how the end of history happens. That God can uh, tell you all the choices that we'll make and, and clearly God influences and intervenes uh, in the work of the world, in the choices that we make, um, in the healing that we receive, in the blessings that we are given, okay? I'm not saying that it's all one or all the other, but rather let's listen to the story of what God offers and know that we have the ability to make a difference in our future, but also know that God knows how it ends and God knows how it begins and God's got his hand on everything in between. When we look at John the Baptist's life, when we look at John the Baptist's life, we get a picture of what it means to create our future. Now, when you read about John's life, let's pause just for a moment. Can we admit that John was strange? Right? I mean, John was just strange. And you don't have to do the camel hair clothes and the locust and honey diet. Now, I'd go with him on one of those things, but not the other. John was strange from the beginning, right? You can imagine the neighbors talking. Well, you know, old Elizabeth, and I do mean old, having a baby. 
a postmenopausal pregnancy, and Zechariah, that preacher who could never get us out before the bat, bat, well, probably not Baptist at that time, but couldn't get us out early for lunch to save anything. He's been silent for a year. Can you imagine that old kook keeping his mouth shut? And then the baby that they have, that Elizabeth and Zechariah have, they name him John. Could have been a Jeremiah, an Ezekiel, an Elijah, anything. John? So I want to make sure you get the John piece because this is like completely strange for John to be named John. It's much like a friend of mine who grew up in the 80s uh, in the um, uh, era of Tiffany's, Bethany's, and Melanie's. Um, she, she came from a good Italian family. Uh, she was named Gina. Not Tiffany, not Bethany, not Melanie, but Gina. It, okay, you're not laughing, but it may, might work in the parking lot. <laughs> the first step in four of creating our own futures is knowing that we've been given a gift. John displays this divine dependence upon the gift when he talks about no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. We create our own futures, but we're born in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular zip code, to a particular family. We're given a gift, but it's within certain sets of bounds. Being able to discern that gift is a great power, a great opportunity. I think it's why we come to worship, is to engage with God the Creator to figure out our gift. Have you ever thought about what your gift is? Here's one way to figure it out. Um, next time uh, you're headed to be part of uh, a team that's doing work or volunteerism or something like that, wonder about what do you think the group is waiting for before you show up? What, what do people say as they wait for you to show up? Oh my goodness, I am so glad he's here because without him, we probably couldn't do this. Or, oh my goodness, I thought she wasn't going to make it today. I wasn't sure how we would pull that off without her. Once you start kind of doing that discernment, you're getting towards the place where God has given you a gift. Creating our futures begins with using our gift. John used his gift. Um, he used his gift of uh, being a prophet. Um, probably the, not the most crowd-pleasing gift that one could get. Step two is be you. Creating your future requires that you know your gift and that you be yourself. John displays this in his distinct identity. Uh, he says in scripture, you yourselves are my witnesses, but I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. Have a distinct identity. I, I used to do um, uh, Bible study in small groups and I'd say, you can be anybody in this story except Jesus. Now think about what do you think, what do you feel, what do you see, what do you smell? It can be anybody in the story, but you gotta be yourself. What's your identity? Now, um, John really leans into his identity, <laughs> okay? Um, he goes out to the countryside as a prophet, 
Um, you do know that a, a prophet, though it's um, right up there with uh, lawyer, uh, accountant, uh, and preacher, um, if a prophet shows up on your doorstep, it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? Because the prophet usually calls us to accountability where we have strayed from God. So, so John embraces the prophet, travels to the countryside, lives on bugs and honey, and wears camel hair. But in his distinct identity of being the prophet, of um, preparing the way for his cousin Jesus, scripture says the whole Judean countryside came out. Um, John was baptizing people in the Jordan. And we talk about baptism often, um, but let's be clear that in John's day, baptism was a ritual bath that some Jews would participate in. This was not the, oh my goodness, grandma's coming into town, let's do the baby kind of uh, cultural expectation. And scripture says that all of the Jerusalem, uh, all of the tribe of Israel headed out to the wilderness to be baptized by John in the Jordan. John knew who he was, distinct identity as a prophet. We look at uh, the third piece, that when we create futures, we have to know our purpose. Uh, John displays undeniable purpose. It says in scripture that he's the friend of the bridegroom. Uh, it's probably not an exact translation, but it's this recognition that he was not the main event, but he was the one to prepare. Uh, I had somebody tell me in between services that, um, that John comes not second, but first. That John's like the standard bearer, uh, the two folk who carry the banner in front of the parade, and that Jesus uh, was the, the marshal, the parade marshal, who comes later, not last, but later. John knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He knew his gift. Now I want you to think about this whole idea of your purpose, right? So John has the whole countryside coming out to the middle of nowhere. I mean, you could call this an Osteen effect times two. Um, uh, Joel, not Bonnie. <laughs> but then Jesus starts preaching. Jesus starts preaching. Jesus comes and is baptized by John, right? Remember that the, the, the clouds, the sky parts, that a loud voice and a descending dove says, this is my son, listen to him. That limelight wasn't for John, it was for Jesus. And that from that point on, the crowds that followed John got smaller and the crowds that followed Jesus got bigger. That as Jesus was going from place to place teaching and doing miracles, John found himself um, uh, at odds with the king, King Herod, and imprisoned. That as, um, as Jesus continues uh, to walk his ministry of saving the world from their sins by dying on the cross and being resurrected on the third day, John, at the whim of a concubine in the king's court, has his head cut off and served on a silver platter to the king. So John knew his purpose. His purpose wasn't to be big. It wasn't to be um, uh, overcome everything. His purpose was to prepare the way, to be the friend of the bridegroom. 
The fourth step uh, in looking at John's life, looking at scripture, is that in the middle of all of this, John stays true to himself. John fulfills his future. We can see that in the scripture that says, he must increase, that's Jesus, but I must decrease. You know, um, a lot of us, uh, when you start, start talking about uh, purpose and identity and future, it's kind of people break out in a couple of different camps. Some people say, God has no purpose, no future for me. And I resent the fact that God does. Second group of people say, God has a purpose and a future for me, but I have no idea where to look for it. And so I will buy books and pay speakers and travel around the world trying to find it. And there's that last group that understand that their purpose and that their future is easily found within the the fences of their backyard. That as they recognize that that God has put boundaries around who we are by zip code, by maybe even economic station, by uh, where we are born in the world, God has put no limit on how we fulfill the future that God has in store for us. John stayed true to fulfill his future. What is your future? I mean, it's easy to hold the baby and go, wow, anything's possible. It's another thing to be looking at divorce papers that show up, wondering how you're gonna stay true to you. Or that promotion that was supposed to come passes by. How do you stay true to you? Or maybe as you look towards retirement, wondering what does it mean to stay true to you when your whole life has been about this or that or this company or this career or this trade. Staying true to you and creating the future that God has in store for you. I want to say that creating a future is much like creating artwork. Um, Artwork is just a matter of some beauty and some will. Now, some of you have, I just lost you. You're like, yeah, okay. We were good on the charting and the purpose and the identity. Maybe throw in some numbers, preacher, we're happy, a spreadsheet doesn't hurt. But you win art on us. So everyone's an artist. I like the idea when someone comes along and says, I want to give you a commission to do art. And whatever art you do, I will have funded it, and it will will serve the purpose that we agree on. I believe that's how our lives work. That God has made a commission to us and said, make your life with the identity and the purpose and the gift, clearly to fulfill your future and to glorify me. Now, there's that, I'm not an artist. Um, but there's that moment where, where the artist has spent so much time watercoloring, painting with oils, and they step back and they go, wow, it's exactly what my vision was for it. I believe there's that moment, that cooperative moment, when we have worked hard on the masterpiece that God has given us, the commission that we've been licensed for. And we step back and say, yeah, that's it. Now, the, the little graphic there it was art that I did. We, we had a um, spiritual direction artist come and lead the staff on a day apart. Um, 
And so what looks like a child's cutting up of a hymnal um, and lots of orange and yellow, the two first stanzas are the song that was sung at uh, Amy and I's wedding. Um, The last two stanzas was the song I remember most from the Vespers at Lakeview, where I felt that God called me into ministry. Um, And the orange and the yellow that looks kind of scattered like someone might have stuck their finger and blood came out, that's just fire. And see, in the midst of the fire, everything's refined. There's a piece of art inside you. There's a future to be created. There's an opportunity to ask not just what this child will become, but what will you become? With the gift, with the identity, with the purpose that God has given you. What child will this be? Not just a question for baby showers, baptisms, or the birth of a grandchild but a question for you today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.